The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted, his eye, lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, God, God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter, slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of God. Can we pray together? Father, Lord, we we praise you. Lord, we are in awe of who you are. Father, this day and every single day is yours, and it is all about you. So, Father, whether we're in Ecuador or in San Diego, may our hearts always praise the one who resurrected. Father, your power and your sovereign and your provision is always as abundant as your grace. Lord, may the hearts here today be opened and wrestled with by your gospel. Lord, humbly, we pray humbly for your heart and not ours. Lord, lead us to you. Let your your glory be magnified. For you are God. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.
Thank you, Ryan. All right. Good morning. Happy Easter. Welcome to Grace City. If this is your first time here, I just want to say uh, we are glad that you came out to join us this morning. Uh, Today, we are going to be continuing in our series called The Gospel in Genesis, and we are looking at the life of Abraham. Now, you're thinking to yourself, aren't you going to do the, 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 the traditional texts within the Gospels? But what we've been talking about through the life of Abraham is that all of the Bible points to, in many ways, the resurrection of Jesus. The Gospel doesn't just start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but is all throughout the Bible. And today, we are looking at one of the stories within the Old Testament, Genesis, that tells the story of the gospel more clearly than probably any other story. And it starts in the life of Abraham. And so our text today is Genesis 22, 1 through 14. And I remember, um, as we jump into this, uh, uh, a time where I was sitting with my daughter, she's four years old, and we were reading a book about what Easter is about. And so it's one of those books where it's just It's just very simple, right? And so it starts and just says it's not about the bunny. And then next says it's not about the chocolate. And then it says, here's what it's about. It's about God. It's about God. And so when we get to Easter, when we start to think about what this story is about, there are going to be a lot of places that your mind can go, even today. Right? What is my schedule? What is my plan today? But I want you to know that today, As we focus in, my hope is that we get that this is about God. It's about God. And here's what this message is all about. It's about holding on to the promise of God. Holding on to the promise. On September 30th, 2002, Time Magazine had a cover with Abraham. Abraham, depicted on the front Here's what it said. It said, Muslims, Christians, and Jews all claim him as their father. A new, a new book explores the challenge of turning him into their peacemaker. And this author, Bruce Feiler, uh, did an interview about this book that he wrote on NPR later that next year. And here's what he said. He says, I think the reason Abraham is important is because he stands at the center of the relationship between humans and God. So if you want to understand God, you have to understand Abraham. What's interesting about this is the story of the sacrifice, which everybody remembers when they were a child. You think that the story would be so barbaric that it would have died out over time. Instead, this story is read in the holiest week of the Jewish year, at Rosh Hashanah. It's read at the holiest week of the Christian year at Easter. It's read at the holiest week, the same story, the holiest week in the Muslim year at the end of the pilgrimage. Now, why is this story so important? After doing some research for for Muslims and for Jews, this narrative points to this belief about the importance of Abraham being a good example because he follows God. But as I was doing my research, there's many rabbis and scholars on this uh, website, My Jewish Learning, that said this. They, they were honest. They said, this story perplexes many generations of commentators within the Jewish faith. It's perplexing. Why would God ask Abraham to do something like this? 
Now, what makes this story different for Christians? See, is God just telling us that Abraham is just a good example, simply meant to inspire us? No. See, this story is pointing to something more. Here's why. When we look at the sacrifice of Isaac, we can't help as Christians to think about the meaning of Easter. For Christians, this account from the life of Abraham is not meant to point us to Abraham just being this good example who follows God and does his due diligence, even if it costs him his son. No, it's meant to point us to Jesus. Because let's be honest, apart from Jesus, this text is very confusing and, quite frankly, disturbing. See, if it's just Abraham being a good example, then what this looks like is just God saying, Obey me because I'm God even if that means to kill your own son. J.C. Ryle says it well when he says, take away the cross of Christ and the Bible is a dark book. You take away the meaning of Easter, out of this book, it's dark. And we've been talking about through the life of Abraham again and again and again, just how we need Jesus at every point. See, this story is so much more. Here's how the writer of Hebrews interprets this text. And so we we fast forward to Hebrews in the New Testament that helps describe a lot of what's happening in the Old Testament. Here's what he says. He says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now why? He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Able to raise him from the dead. See, again, this story isn't about Abraham just being a good example to the world. What this is, is this. It's that there's a promise that we can hold on to. Even in our darkest moments in life, it's the promise that there's a possibility of resurrection. There's a possibility that there's life after death. See, because everything in the Bible hinges on the resurrection. One time, atheist and acclaimed author, Lee Strobel, said this. He says, in short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. Have you thought about that? Right, today, have you come and and reasoned through the possibility that Jesus wasn't just a man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, but he was a man who died for sin and rose from the dead? And that points us to the possibility that resurrection is true. And that the whole Bible is hinging on it and pointing to it as our only hope. See, that's why Jesus said in uh, John 8.56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it and was glad. See, even Abraham is pointing to Jesus. 
And so how do we see Jesus and the power of the resurrection in today's text? Well, we see it in three ways. And so if you're taking notes today, I'm going to give you all three up front. It's through seeing, number one, the significance of the spot. Number two, the, the meaning of the sacrifice. And number three, the necessity of the substitution. The significance of the spot, the meaning of the sacrifice, and the necessity of the substitution. We're going to break down today's text and see it right here. And so the first one is this, the significance of the spot. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says this, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now here's what we find out in verse 1. And this is helpful for us as readers. It's this, that God tested Abraham. Now, as readers, we, we see that Abraham is entering into a test. But what Abraham doesn't know is that he is entering into a test. It's like when the teacher comes in that day and knows that every student in there is going to be taking a pop quiz except for the students, right? They don't know, but the teacher knows. And so now God is looking at Abraham and saying, okay, it is time for the test. And again, we know, but he doesn't. See, in many ways, tests throw us off, disorient us. And so what's the test for Abraham? Well, it's this. God says in verse 2, he says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, here's what we find out. God says, here's the test, take your son. As we've been looking at the life of Abraham, Isaac is in every sense, the miracle child, right? It is very clear from the beginning that Sarah was barren throughout her life. And so she had been labeled as barren, and they say, there's no way that you're going to have a child. Yet in every way, in that culture, that's what gave her her identity. And so she was torn, she was distraught most of her life. And now, in Genesis 21, we see that God came through on his promise and says, you will have a son and Isaac is born. But now God says, take that miracle child, take the one that you've waited for that I told you over a decade ago that you would have, and I want you to take him to this spot. See, many believe that Isaac at this point wasn't a small child, but he's probably a young man. And over this time, Abraham has grown for his love for his son. And there's a description that God gives him here. He says, I want you to take your only son. Now, what we saw before is that Abraham, on his own will, tried to make God's promise happen, and so Ishmael came. But God says, no, I want you to take the only son that I promised you, Isaac. And he says, it's the one whom you love. Should be ringing some bells for us, right? As we think about the New Testament and what Jesus has done for us. But secondly, he says, I want you to take him to a specific place. He says, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. 
Now, here's what we know about uh, Moriah. Second Chronicles 3.1, it says this is where King David builds an altar. It's where God stops a plague from happening. Later, in this particular spot, it's where Solomon would build his temple. The temple was destroyed, but after the destruction, later, this again would be the spot where the temple would be rebuilt. It was the same place in which Jesus cleansed the temple in John 2.15. And so commentator Derek Kidner says this. He says, in the New Testament terms, this is the vicinity of Calvary. This is the vicinity of Calvary. See, at the time of Jesus, uh, Matthew 27, verse 33, describes it like this. It says, and when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, this is the same vicinity as the sacrifice that God is asking Abraham to make. See, thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth, God tells Abraham out of all the locations that I want you to take him, take him to Moriah. This spot was significant. Secondly, we, we see the meaning now of the sacrifice. You can see it in verses 3 through 8. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Third day. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the boy. We'll go over there and and, and worship and, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So he went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my my father, uh, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now, up to this point, Abraham doubted. And had questions. We see it all throughout his life. He, he wrestles with believing God. Right? And, and so today, if you are here and you're wrestling with believing God, I want you to know that you're in good company. People like Abraham believed, but yet still had doubts and fears and struggles. But at this point, it's, it's obvious that something has changed in him. Something has changed in his obedience to God. Because look at verses 2 and 3. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood from the burnt offering, and he rose and went to a place of which God had told him. See, he had wrestled and struggled with God and said, It's hard for me to believe you, God. But at this point, the hardest point, the, 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 the darkest point, he says at this point, I'll obey. I'll obey. You see, this radical request should have brought up even more questions for Abraham. Should have brought up even more struggle. 
Because here's the request that God's asking him to go against. First, he's asking him to go against what we know of as God's character. See, during the time of Abraham, it would have been common to have child sacrifice for a God, to appease a God. And so this type of request, it, it, it just should throw him off in a little bit. Like, God, th- this is going against your character right now. This doesn't fit with you. And so one of the things that should be wrestling with is like, okay, is God like other gods? Is he like all the other gods that are surrounding me right now that are asking this type of request? But another one is this. Okay, God, is this going against your promise? See, the thought of of God going against his promise and taking Isaac is to be opposite of what he said. Is God now going back on his promise? See, from the outside, this looks like God is going against everything he's about. Is that who God is? See, surely this can't be God's plan. In Matthew 27, verse 39, there are, there are many people who struggled with Jesus being on the cross, with Jesus being that sacrifice and seeing him up there, so much so that it says in, in uh, 27, 39, in Matthew, it says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Surely that can't be God's plan. Surely Jesus hanging on a cross as a criminal, that can't be in alignment with God's promise. There's no way that he could be the sacrifice. See, what's God's doing? What's, what's God doing here? Well, it's found in verses 7 and 8. And, and, and here, this shows us the heart of Abraham and where he was at at this point. He says this in verses 7 and 8. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, again he says here, I am my son. Behold the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb? But in verse 8, here's what he says. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now, Gerhard uh, von Rad points out that there is a slowing down of a narrative here. This is, this is slowing it down. Right, this is the only time that we see an interaction, a conversation between father and son, Isaac and Abraham. Only time in the, in, in the book of Genesis. And so they're talking, and it, it, this is slowing it down for us. And, and so it's wanting us to focus in on what is the key to all of this. And it's three words. Abraham's answer, God will provide. God will provide. Here's the meaning. What differentiates Christianity from every other religion in the world? Ultimately, it's the belief of this, that God provides. That it's God, not me. Because let me explain. If you were to take every other religion, here's what it boils down to. It's this. It's this. I believe that I must make the sacrifice to make myself right with God. It is. It it comes down to I have to work my way up the mountain and make the sacrifice that is going to appease God. But what is the message of Christianity? What is the gospel? What is the good news? It's this. That as Abraham is climbing that mountain, it's this. He's believing that God is going to provide 
what he could never provide. God is going to do what he could never do. God is going to make a sacrifice that's going to make him right in a way that he could have never done for himself. Do you see what he says in verse 5? He says this, Then Abraham said to his young men, so there are two young men with him, See, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He knows that God has asked him to make this sacrifice. Yet he still says, we're going to come back to you. I'm going up that mountain, but I'm going to come back, and Isaac's going to come back with me. What is this? It is faith that God provides. It was his faith in the promise of the son, that God was not going to give up on that promise. He was holding tightly onto God's character, not his own. This wasn't about Abraham making this great sacrifice for God. This is about God making a great sacrifice for Abraham. That's the message. God will provide. And so lastly, it's the necessity of the substitution. Look at verses 9 through 14. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid uh, the wood in order and, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Verses 9 and 10. This should bring out in us the horror of the sacrifice. A father asked to sacrifice his son. But why is this so memorable? Why is this something that we think to as we think on the story of Jesus? Because in that moment we should say, how could God ask this of Abraham? But then when we see Good Friday, it's this. A sacrifice of a father sacrificing his son. And we should say, how could God make this kind of sacrifice for me? How could he do this for me? How could God have done this? See, Abraham is acting out what God himself would do for us. Do you see it? Edmund Clowney says this, and when the ultimate beloved child cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The father paid the price in his silence. You see, what we see for Abraham is this, that as he's about to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord, which we've talked about, is the messenger of the Lord. But yet many translators believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ Shouts out, Abraham, Abraham. He calls out, 
What Jesus didn't get on the cross, Isaac got on the mountain. Do you see that? See, instead of Isaac, the only son being sacrificed, God says this, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have with not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then he took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. You see, throughout the Old Testament, we see what, what this is. It's a temporary sacrifice pointing us to the permanent sacrifice. See, something had to die. Blood had to be shed. Because in, Je- in, in the book of Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so what we see is God is, is saying, okay, this is pointing you to a sacrifice that will happen. It's the gospel in a nutshell. You, know, you want to know what the good news is today? You want to know what divides Christianity and says, this is my belief right now. It's substitution. It's this. Jesus took my place. Jesus took my place. Charles Spurgeon says, my entire theology, the way I view God, can be condensed into four words. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. It's the ultimate substitution. And it's the needed substitution. It's the necessity that we all have. Justin uh, Dillahay wraps it up like this. As he looks at this story, he says, This event is a picture of God offering up Jesus on Good Friday. Isaac is described as Abraham's only son whom he loved. He's seen carrying the wood on which he would be slain. And when he asks his father, Here's the wood, but where is the lamb? Abraham replies, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. He would indeed. Whereas God spared Abraham's son, he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. But there's more. The story is also a picture of Jesus' resurrection. Abraham tells his servant that both he and Isaac will return. Do you see all of the, the message of the gospel, the good news today within this text? This was written way before Jesus walked the earth. But the whole message of Christianity points to it. And so quickly, some takeaways. How can we apply this today on Easter? The first one is this. What view of God are you holding on to? What view of God are you holding on to right now? You say, this is how I view God. Right, because we can either view him as a God that says, hey, you need to climb that mountain. You need to go make that sacrifice. You need to do this to make yourself right with God. Or, you can hold on to the view that God paints of himself within scripture. It's this, that God climbed that mountain. That God went up to Calvary. That God went up and made the sacrifice for you and me. Right? There's two opposing views here. Is it what I do for God or is it what God has done for me? Because as you hold on to, tightly onto the belief that God has done this for me, that's what changes your life. What was it that changed Abraham's life? It's when he knew that God will provide. What helped him to climb that mountain in the most difficult circumstances? It's when he knew and trusted that God will provide. Even as scary and dark as the situation was. 
And so what view of God are you holding on to today? Secondly, it's this. What do you believe is impossible for God to resurrect? What do you believe it's, it's just impossible for God to resurrect? You know, in a lot of ways, um, I see it in my everyday life. Yesterday, I was, uh, we were riding bikes with the family, and um, my daughter, she's seven years old, and she is trying to ride the bike without the training wheels. And so I'm like holding on to her arm, and we're just riding along, and she says, Dad, you, you can't let go of me. I said, why not? Like, you can do this. She says, I will never be able to ride a bike not going to happen. I will never be able to ride a bike. And so you're just going to have to hold on to me as I go and ride my bike. I said, honey, I'm going to have to let go of you at some point. Daddy's arm's getting tired. Like, you know, like <laughs> there's a lot going on here. But I said, like, I said, okay, every time you say something negative, I want you to turn it into a positive. And so you're saying that you can never ride your bike. But I want you to say right now that you can ride your bike. Because daddy's here with you. Okay? I can ride my bike. <laughs> you know, I'm still holding on to her. And so, but here's the thing. It started with how she was thinking about things. There's going to be a day when she's going to be able to ride her bike, hopefully, without dad holding on. But here's the thing. It was impossible to her that that could ever happen. It's impossible. And there are things that are holding on to you right now that you're thinking about that are in your mind that God's saying, you don't think that I can resurrect that. Well, you don't know my past, God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I've been. There's no way that you could resurrect a person like me. See, the resurrection is the possibility that God can resurrect anything. Saturday seemed very impossible for the disciples. They were discouraged. They were lost. They weren't expecting Jesus rising from the dead. They weren't. But he did. And so what do you think is impossible right now? Why are you here today? You know, what are you looking for? This is an important question for us to ask. Atheist scholar Gerd Ludemann says this. He says, It is historically certain that Peter and the other disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. This is a guy who's an atheist. And he is telling us that something happened to Peter. <laughs> he experienced a risen Christ. And so, again, you can continue to believe that it's impossible, or you can choose to say something happened. And it's possible for me that God could do that in my life. Lastly, it's this. What hope will you hold on to in your darkest moments? This past week, I was reading through a little bit of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Life Together, and in the introduction, it's talking about Bonhoeffer and, and, and his life as a German theologian, pastor, living in Nazi Germany. And 
he stood up in the midst of a very dark situation. And he was thrown into a concentration camp for it. And it says that on April 8th, 1945, that he preached a sermon to his fellow inmates. And his sermon was on Isaiah 53. And here's what it is. It says, by his stripes we are healed. Pointing to the suffering that Jesus had taken on himself for us. It says the next day, he would be taken by the guards. Before he left, he said to one man nearby, he says, this is the end, but for me it is the beginning of life. This is the end, but for me it is the beginning of life. And that day he was hanged. You know, what... What do we hold on to in our darkest moments? What do we hold on to when we're in front of those really dark places and we say, this is, this is the end. This is it. I encourage you that we hold on to the same thing that Bonhoeffer and many others before him held on to. Holding tightly onto Jesus. And saying this is the end, but it's not really the end. It's the beginning of life. It's the beginning of life. Jerry Bridges says, if we want proof of God's love for us, then we must look first at the cross where God offered up his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. You, you question, God, do you love me in those dark moments? On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Do you believe that today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are all throughout scripture and that everything points to the sacrifice that you made for us. And so we pray that this morning, God, we will remember the resurrection and celebrate what Jesus has done. That this won't be just another day, but in our hearts we believe that Christ is risen from the dead. And it wasn't an abstract reality, but it is for me. I need it. I need the sacrifice of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.